It's a movie about a couple who basically goes on an extended road trip uh, to find where they want to live upon the birth of their child. And the movie is called Away We Go. Kay, have you seen Away We Go with John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph? I have not, but you've mentioned it so many times. I'm actually very excited to see it. I am excited to see what all the uh, what all the enthusiasm is uh, is about. I'm excited to see what you think. It's not. I, I think a lot of people don't know about it. It kind of flew under the radar. It was a pretty small budget, mm -hmm. small you know, marketed movie. But I just happened to see it. Feel pretty strongly about it. So I'm okay. excited to see what you think. This next dedication goes out to a really special girl. Ooh. My name is Bert. My girlfriend's pregnant and frustrated. Go away. Okay, we have news. We're leaving in June. The baby's due in July to Antwerp. You're moving 3,000 miles away from your grandchild. Well, I think it's more than 3,000, isn't it, Cherry? Oh, I think so. <laughs> we don't have to stay here. Well, where'd we go? We could go anywhere we want. Now I'm wondering what we're doing. Did you look at the itinerary? I stapled it to the inside of your jacket. <laughs> We're going to Miami. You know you can't fly after eight months. Oh, I'm only six months. Uh, you have a note from the doctor? What? The romance of the rail. Hey, you know what? We might see some buffalo. Yeah! You got lucky, sister. No one's in love like us, right? I'll always love you, even if you're enormous. Even if it takes you months to lose this weight. Uh searching all of my days we brought you something why don't we just put it on the porch just a little further away fate gave us a stroller what's wrong with strollers i love my babies why would i want to push them away from me hey i'm getting the stroller what? listen to your heart do something about those ears. I just don't think we should be talking about it right in front of the children. Oh, please. For it's just white noise to them. Listen, watch this. Taylor. 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 <laughs> I could keep going on and on. Hello and welcome to K Have You Seen Yet Another Episode, the podcast where we have hot takes on cold viewings. I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorites. But before, before we get into it, uh, follow us, Instagram, Facebook, uh, pretty much it, yeah. iTunes, like and subscribe, all those things. We're at K Have You Seen and of course, K Have You Seen wherever you get your podcasts. So, as I said, today we're diving into one of my all-time favorites. I've been talking about this one for a really long yeah. time. Away We Go, mm -hmm. the 2009 classic, more or less. <laughs> Maybe not. I but... think we've established the trend that all the movies we talk about on this podcast are classics. Yeah. All of them. Every a classic if, you, if it's a classic <laughs> in your heart. Of course. So, yeah. Um, Kyle, you want to give us a quick little what it's about? Yeah, so like I think the elevator pitch for this movie is that it is about two people, a, uh, a couple who are um, kind of living a pseudo-bohemian, quirky lifestyle, I mm -hmm. suppose, and they're in kind of, a, they're in a stable relationship with each other, but they 
they are surprised to discover that they are pregnant, and so they um, decide to kind of break out of their um, prior lifestyle and try to find a uh, more permanent place to live after finding out that the grandparents are not going to be uh, in that area anymore, and so they start exploring these different options of where they would like to live, having right. no specific tether or tie to one area. They kind of have a lot of options, and so the movie is about them exploring those options, kind of examining the people that they know that live in these places, and uh, ultimately leading toward uh, their decision of where they want to put down roots. Yeah, they're more or less kind of episodically trying on these different lives, seeing who they could be in different homes, because as you say, they're untethered, and we'll get into the specifics of the uh, whole plot pretty soon. But uh, IMDb has... An incorrect description. We'll get into uh, that. I love finding it when it's incorrect, and it's kind of often. Uh -huh. um, a couple who is expecting their first child travel around the U.S. Not right. In order to find a perfect place to start their family, along the way they have misadventures and find fresh connections with an assortment of relatives and old friends who just might help them discover home on their own terms for the first time. More or less what you said. Yeah, sort of. It's North America. They go to Montreal. So yes. Nice try, MDB. <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, First off, what was your background, or what was your first impression of this? Did you were you familiar at all? Uh, I knew this movie existed, and that's about it. I remember mm -hmm. seeing the trailers, um, like on TV, because this movie came out in two thousand nine, so it's ten years old at this point. Um, so I would have been in college at the time, and it came out very shortly after Juno, and I think mm -hmm. the marketing really tried to draw that connection, which I'm sure we'll get into this as we proceed in the conversation, but. That was definitely my impression. I definitely fell for that marketing at the time. Like mm -hmm. it felt like they were really trying to ride the coattails of this really unique movie that had just come out and had made kind of a splash. Mm -hmm. And it felt a little derivative, even though I'm sure that this had been floating around for a lot longer than Juno was, and it was just a coincidence. Um, and they were obviously just taking advantage of that familiarity, I think. <laughs> but yeah, beyond that, I knew nothing. I knew mm -hmm. who was in it, and like the two leads of John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. And I knew that it was about a couple that had a child on the way, and that was it. That's all I knew. So you think the writers or the director were like, yes, finally, my pregnancy movie. It can get made. <laughs> Probably, actually, yeah. Because um, Dave Eggers wrote this movie, right? The yeah. uh, the, the um, novelist, poet, yeah, essayist? him, and I thought I read his wife, Vandela, mm, okay. uh, let me look up her last name, Vandela Vita. I think I saw that they were married. That could be mm -hmm. totally wrong. Um, but they were novelists, and they yeah. wrote this movie together and this I think was their first screenplay so some of the reviews I read definitely dinged them for that but um, yeah and it's Sam Mendes is mm -hmm. the director which um, I had to I looked up for this podcast never really looked into it not prolific only nine credits between yeah. 1999 and 2019 mm -hmm. but all of almost all of them are really recognizable and yeah you know they go from kind of Revolutionary Road which is an old uh, Leo DiCaprio pick with in 2009 it was right before this it was like a year before this because yeah. it was uh it was the it was DiCaprio and Kate Winslet back mm -hmm. together uh in a movie right. for the first time since Titanic so right, yeah I uh, saw that one it wasn't bad but he did like American Beauty which yes. is really well known um and then he did Spectre and Skyfall to the more recent Bond yeah. movies which so, is kind of interesting yeah and this comes on the heels this is the last of several movies that he made that are really focused on Americans it seems like he was during this part of his career because his first theatrical film was American Beauty. Right. And he also did Jarhead, yeah. Road to Perdition, Revolutionary Road, um, and uh, right after Revolutionary Road, it was this movie. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like, you know, he's a British director, and it seems like when you examine all the, all of those movies I've seen at some point, 
And uh, it's really interesting because they all seem to be kind of putting American culture under a microscope. And it seems mm -hmm. like Sam Mendes was just at this point in his career, at least, really fascinated by American culture as this sort of alien thing that he was trying to understand. Yeah, that is fascinating. I hadn't put that together. But yeah, there was this block of most, at least half of his, um, mm -hmm. you know, filmography is yeah. all these like very American, you yeah. know, this is a road trip movie essentially yeah. across the North, North America, mostly the U.S. Yeah. Um, but American Beauty and Jarhead, like yeah. it's a it, very different view of America. Exactly. But. And all those other movies up to this point are, they all have a lot of intensity to them mm -hmm. and they've got like a lot of kind of ugliness to them and, and things like that. And um, I feel like with this film, it's so different from that. Mm -hmm. It feels so much more like it has finally found the Americans that he seems to like. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he's finally found like these people who are like existing within this world, this, this country that he kind of views as being a little bit off kilter and they are viewing it in the same way. It's so he's right. finally found like his Americans, which I find really interesting. And even because the characters do come off a little caricature at different yeah. times. And there are like with the episodicness, there are these like kind of archetypes of different mm -hmm. types of people, which again, we will get into, but it is, I never put that together and that totally kind of gives me a new lens to look at this. Cause yeah, there mm -hmm. is such a like, microscope on top of these characters and on top of like literally the way they are living. That's what yeah. this whole movie is about. Yes. So thinking about it as like a British director and having this fascination with American people and American ways of living. It's really almost like this movie is kind of dissecting American society much like Maya Rudolph dissects human anatomy in her <laughs> medical illustrations in Ooh, this in this film. Excellent segue. Um, yeah, so talked a little bit about the director, but the cast of this as well, some just very iconic oh, yeah, yeah. Americans in there. <laughs> For sure. Um, John Krasinski, of mm -hmm. course, and Maya Rudolph are the leads, but then you've got everyone from Jeff Daniels, yes. Catherine O'Hara, mm -hmm. um, Chris Messina, who is, you know, not a super well-known actor, but he's shown up in a couple good things. He was, you know, in the Mindy Kaling show mm -hmm. for a while. I think this was most recent, but kind of one of those, that guy bridging onto well-known actors, Alice and Janie, of course. Of course, yeah. Just amazing at a, a terrible mom. Like, you haven't <laughs> she, seen The Way, Way Back. That's on our list, too. But she, she has did. carved out a niche as playing, like, every type of mom. Yeah. Usually terrible moms, but, Even like, every show, type of mom. mom. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Uh, uh, she played. She also played the stepmom in Juno, so that's a right. direct connection between these two so movies. So true, yeah. Um, and then there's Jim Gaffigan, Maggie mm -hmm. Gyllenhaal. There's just kind of Americans from all different... Yep. Stripes. Although at least at least Catherine O'Hara is Canadian. I don't know about any of oh, these other okay. actors, mm -hmm. but yes, yeah. There's also Carmen and Ijogo. Yeah, and I wanted to say she was British, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, she plays she's uh, uh, she's my the, Rudolph's sister, right? Yeah, yeah. she's the sister Grace. Um, and anybody who's seen any of the uh, Fantastic Beasts movies, mm -hmm. she's like the president of the American Wizards or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Oh, that's right. I forgot um, about that. And she was, oh, there was something else she was in that I was like, oh, yeah, I totally recognize her. Mm -hmm. um, but she's she's also one of those people that's like, you see her face and you're like, oh. Yeah. And she's just gorgeous. But um, she was in the most recent Alien. Oh, it was uh, Coretta Scott King in Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah. a lot of pretty recognizable either, yeah, scaling from like, hmm, I, I recognize you to... Like, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, Kurt, you said that this is one of your favorite movies. So, like, let's talk yes. about that. Like, this is, like, tell us about your background with this yeah. movie and, like, why it connects with you so much. 
Yeah, I as I was watching this one, I was really connecting it to Walter Mitty. Mm-hmm. I think they give me that. I kind of figured similar, as much. They have yeah, a very similar vibe. Now that I'm watching them, kind of with the same podcast lens, um, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a very like quiet, gentle movie. Um, it's it, there's something just like really enjoyable about watching these two people that are likable and are trying to figure out their lives, just trying on these different lives and ways mm-hmm. of being and looking at these places and and the people that live there with this kind of anthropological like who are these people who mm-hmm. would we be if we lived here with them mm-hmm. and if our lives were here um and then there's just like a yeah the sweetness of it i think always appeals to me at the end of the day like these are two good people mm-hmm. that are trying to figure it out and i feel like it's a really real portrayal of like just trying to figure your life out yeah like you have infinite options at certain points and you just have to make a decision based on imperfect information, no information, mm-hmm. whatever you can figure out in the time you have. Um, and so I don't know, it's, it, it feels very real, but then it also feels sweet and it's funny and it's just fun to watch something where you're moving through these very like segmented places and people and mm-hmm. it's, it's almost a sketch in each Kinda, location. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, it's a lot of different things, but I think at the root of it, it is like, it's just the sweetness of the movie, I think, is always very comforting. I think we mm-hmm. talked with Kelly and then a lot of other guests about that. That, like, home movie, that comforting, mm-hmm. just, you know, sink into a warm bath kind of movie. And this is definitely one of those for me of just, like, I just enjoy watching it. It's it's easy to watch. It's funny. It's not too heavy, but it does feel, it feels real. And I feel like there's certain times in your life where you're just kind of like, oh, my God, I cannot handle this. And, mm-hmm. and that's a comforting, like, oh, okay. Everybody yeah. goes through that. Sure. Um, yeah. Totally. I, I watched it. This is like one of those movies that I remember the first time I watched it too. And it was my two of my best friends from high school and I rented this movie from like a blockbuster or something. It must have been, you know, blockbuster <laughs> Hollywood video. I don't know. Um, we rented this and Fargo and watched oh, wow. these back to back just because we had not seen Fargo. Okay. And then this one just, we didn't know anything about it, but maybe had the same Juno poll when everybody was, you know, uh, both movies uh, featuring pregnant ladies. Yeah, true. That is very true. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure we put that together when we had our double feature, but it was just, I remember watching it with two of my best friends and us all just kind of having a similar like, oh, that was so nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a good one. Which one did you watch first? I'm very curious about that. Do you remember <laughs> I'm that? I don't remember. <laughs> Did you watch uh, Fargo first and this was a, a palate cleanser? Or did you watch this one first and then Fargo was like, what the hell is this? Now that I think about it, we watched one movie and then one of our, my friends left. So it was just me and my other friend. And I remember we watched the second movie and we were like, they probably wouldn't have liked this one. Okay. I think that one must have been Fargo. I think okay. Fargo okay. would have been too weird for her. And we watched Away We Go first all together, I think. Yeah. Because <laughs> it could go either way. I mean, this really movie could. probably, I mean, not everybody's cup of tea necessarily. No, it really was. I watched this with my boyfriend and he did not enjoy it. Oh, really? Okay. Like, well, fine. But, um, yeah, I, I get it. And, of course, we always talk about, like, you watch these movies with a totally different, like, mm-hmm. perspective when you know that someone else is watching it and judging it right, at the same yeah. time. So I was like, ah, oh, yeah. And the reviews, honestly, are a mis- mixed bag. There's kind of a, a half, like... You know, some people think it's underwritten and think that everyone is too broad and there's oh, not really much of a story here. And then some people think it's really sweet and nice and, you know, agree that's with me. Underwritten, that's really interesting because it really feels like, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and it's like this is clearly written by a novelist because mm. of the eye for, like, 
the sense of detail in uh, fleshing out character mm -hmm. in particular and situations and things like that. It's like, this movie has novelists written all over it, I would say. Oh, okay. You know, it, to me, it really, it really played as though this was written by a novelist, somebody who was mm -hmm. used to describing things as opposed to showing them visually. And so you had a lot of rich complexity of detail throughout the movie in every situation, even like the most mundane situations. Yeah. Like, you can very clearly see how all of this would have been described on the page, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? That's, it's interesting you say the bohemian lifestyle. I was paying a lot of attention to that on this viewing, just like, who are they? Mm -hmm. What socioeconomic yeah. level are they supposed to be? Like, because they both work remotely, so that's yeah. kind of how they can just move wherever they want. Mm -hmm. um, and they start on these shots just of their house. Like, yeah. they're, we're just kind of panning around their house, and it's it's kind of cluttered. There's a couple references to just like the house they're living in right now is worn down. Maybe yeah. there's not there's no reliable heat. Yeah. Like, but they both have somewhat reliable work, and I guess we're supposed to understand them as kind of lower middle class like I, maybe they're kind of struggling to make ends meet but not it wasn't 100 percent clear because yeah. it definitely felt like at first it felt like oh these are just like people that are poor and living in squalor but right. then at, very quickly it's like oh no these people are just not necessarily the best homemakers mm. and they don't seem like i mean they're both employed they're both like ostensibly making acceptable wages right and like they're living in this place and you know when the when the heat goes out it doesn't seem like it's because when the power goes out, it doesn't seem like because they can't pay for stuff. It's because the impression that you get is it's because he doesn't really know how to fix the fuse box when something, the last time they blew a fuse, he replaced it with the wrong kind. Yeah. And that was a great character moment. Like, you know how some people, like, if they mess up, they'll kind of talk through the yeah. thing to try to kind of, like, deflect any attention away from the fact that, like, it's very simple. I made a mistake. It's fine. People make mistakes. It's more like, oh, man, I went to the hardware store, and the guy said, you need a red fuse. I was like, I used the red fuse last time. I need the blue fuse, so who knows? Yeah. You sell me a bad fuse. Uh, some people just do that, and I thought that was a great character moment because that's kind of associated... That's a very daddish type of a trait. Yes, and, yeah. Yeah, and so it really kind of set him up as like, no, this guy is definitely made to be... This is made kind of to be his role in life, is to yeah. be that kind of a dad. Right, and like one of the funny kind of threads is that he like... He wants to be that mm -hmm. dad who's like making things. Yeah. And, like you come outside in the morning, and there's a treehouse and like yeah. all this stuff. And yeah, and I I was paying a lot of attention to Bert's character too, John Krasinski, because mm -hmm. he does like there are all these nuances that kind of build him into this character that is just so funny and interesting and sweet mm -hmm. in a really subtle way. But he is like he's one of those guys that's just like. He goes to like a family self-defense class and he's trying to learn like <laughs> cobbling, which is actually like whittling or carving, right. but he keeps calling it cobbling. And yeah, he like he's clearly one of those guys that just like knows a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like he's kind of a, a grown-up nerd, but yeah. also a little bit of a man child. And he he does yeah. like have a lot of just really specific character things that, that are interesting yeah. to latch on to. So we're right here at the door. Why don't we just dry, dive right into like the plot? Um, dive through the door, yep. Right through. So yeah, as you said, we kind of, the, from the very beginning, we see like the environment that these people are inhabiting and mm -hmm. it does kind of like leave some questions as to like, okay, who are these people? What are they actually like? And that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the opening scene is when we establish that Maya Rudolph's character is pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it's a really bold... <laughs> Opening. It's like diving straight into the deep end of the pool. Uh, um, yeah. But <laughs> okay. 
But no, it's 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 funny because it does also like kind of uh, establish these two characters and their space really quickly and succinctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like their what their relationship is like. Yeah. Um, we'll just say they open on a sex scene. Yeah. And it's funny because they're like talking through it a lot. Like it's mm-hmm. it is you can establish how comfortable they are together, mm-hmm. but also like Bert's like trying to kind of do be a little over the top and Maya Rudolph's character Verona is just like just okay stop like stop yeah, yeah. stop talking so much stop like just chill out and he like they kind of figure out she's pregnant and mm-hmm. cut to six months later and she's very pregnant yes exactly apparently like hugely pregnant mm-hmm. because that's another thing that no one believes she's only six months right. pregnant yes for the rest exactly of the um but yeah so she's six months pregnant they're living in their house he they're kind of like you know, well along the way of preparing to have a baby, it seems like, you know, Bert's up before Verona just trying mm-hmm. to cobble, a.k.a. carve slash whittle. And I, I really appreciate the fact that, like, it re- it just completely skips over the whole, like, oh, my God, we're pregnant, what are we going to do? And it just, like, goes straight into from the moment they discover that she's pregnant to the point where they're like, no, this is just a thing that's happening. We're cool with it. We are emotionally prepared for this. It's not something that... You have because it seems like with a lot of movies that deal with pregnancies that are unexpected, there's a lot of you gotta have the obligatory like, oh my god, I'm pregnant, freak out scenes. Right. Look at the pregnancy test and uh-huh. like None freak out in the bathroom. None of that. No, yeah, we cut straight to like like you said, it seems like they they weren't planning to get pregnant, mm-hmm. but they are receptive to the idea. Yeah, I think we're supposed to believe they've been together for like ten ish years since Longer college. Longer than that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. ten to fifteen years. Um, they're not married, which is another big thing mm-hmm. that comes up a lot. Um, but they, they're not freaking out about pregnancy. They're just yeah. kind of, they're pretty well on their way to planning to be parents, yes. which is part of what happens when they decide to take a trip or they, they have mm-hmm. dinner plans with Bert's parents. So they drive out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but before we get to that though, sure. like one of the things about the scene when they're discussing like the first scene where we cut to the six months pregnant mm-hmm. and the whole cobbling carving thing you get the sense that, like, this is the first time where you start to think, oh, they're not poor. They're just really disorganized, quirky mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And so I definitely, the first, I don't know if you recall the first time you watched it, what your impression was at this point. But for me, I was like, he's got, like, a workbench in the bedroom, <laughs> like, where he's got tools on a pegboard. Yeah. And, like, he he's kind of, like you said, like, kind of a man child. Mm-hmm. And she just seems to be tolerating him. I was like, oh, man, this is, I don't know about these two. Oh, I, I definitely okay. was thinking... At that point, my prediction was that this was going to be a movie about two quote-unquote quirky people who get slapped in the face by reality and having to deal with the same kind of... People who consider themselves different than everyone else but still having to confront the same kind of real-life stuff that everyone mm-hmm. else has to confront. Like a knocked-up kind of... like sort He's of. a man-child and she's like... Kind never of. thought this would happen Except I kind of thought that they were both a little bit like man-child-y. Yeah. I don't know. Like they both seemed in weird ways a little bit immature, mm-hmm. emotionally... Um, she seemed like she was really annoyed by him a lot of the time, mm-hmm. like, especially early in the movie. It's like, they kind of acted like an old married couple, which in a sense they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once that scene started to play out, it was like, okay, so I'm starting to get a better sense of like, this is who these people are. And from there, it kind of planted the seed that I thought I knew where the movie was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was going to be the main conflict of the movie. But spoiler alert, as it turns out, there's really no conflict between the two of them at any point in this movie. Right, like it feels, at least to me, it feels like a very real, like, just relationship. Like Mm -hmm. you're with another person that, at the best, you guys are kind of just part of a unit. And then sometimes you're like, 
what the fuck are they thinking? Like, who yeah. is this person? They're around me all the time and I'm so frustrated. Like, but then again, I've never been with somebody for 10, 15 years right. before. And so I have to assume that if you are with the same person for that long of a time, it's like you can kind of fast forward through like some of the frustration points. Like sometimes they'll either consume you or you just get used to it and you're like, I'm Fluster, I'm, I'm frustrated right now, but I also know that this feeling's gonna pass and so I can just skip the being angry part and go straight to like, everything's cool. Yeah, like the scene where they're driving to his parents' yes. house and he takes a work call and mm -hmm. is talking like so loud mm -hmm. and in his phone voice. His, his Casey work Kasem phone. voice. <laughs> yeah, like we all have our phone voice, which mm -hmm. have you seen Always Be My Maybe? No. Uh -uh. Oh, there's a good joke about um, phone voice, but you know, typical phone voice, especially when you're working and he's just being really loud and she pulls over and is like, just needs a moment of quiet away mm -hmm. from him, just looking out at the landscape and you just, you feel like you're dropped in the middle of like, they've had the conversation a million times where she's like, I hate your phone voice and you're too mm -hmm, loud. Mm -hmm. And he already knows, but she's just like, and she's also totally overwhelmed. Like, you know, this is six months in, they're both handling it, but they're, they're getting really close to mm -hmm. game time. And, right, exactly. And she's feeling a little freaked out. So I thought, I thought that was a, nice like moment where like you're saying like it wasn't dialogue it wasn't them saying like I'm freaked out and you're annoying me it's just like feels like a real moment and you get everything that's happening mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought no I, I I thought so as well and it was like at the, very quickly I started to realize like, okay no these people are used to each other they're comfortable with each other they're not always like madly in love with each other at every moment of every day but they mm -hmm. are they're they're functional. They're, it's, right. It just feels like an, a relationship that I can recognize in the real world and not just like a movie relationship. Yeah. Where every major disagreement is conveniently timed with the the major events of the film. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So then we get to Bert's parents' house and we discover that his parents are Jeff Daniels and Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> delightful. First what of an many <laughs> dysfunctional family. First of many delightful uh, uh, awful couples. Yes. Oh, for real. For real though. Um, um, yeah. So get there, they're both, you can tell, well, you can tell that um, Catherine O'Hara's character is very excited mm -hmm. about the whole pregnancy and just like, mm -hmm. she tells a hilarious story that it cracks me up, but like it's kind of an awkward moment in the movie, but like a, she tells the story of how she gave birth to um, birds <laughs> to Bert and, in the bathtub. and both Bert and, and his dad, Jeff Daniels are like, just uncomfortably like crossing their legs because she's like, because she gives firemen and like I was gorgeous. And they were all over me, and it was so funny. And uh, I, I thought it was really, I thought it was really great that like Bert apparently is just a clone of his dad because yeah. they're styled exactly the same way. Yeah, and Jeff Daniels is like trying to be supportive, but also just like not all that interested. It's, mm -hmm. it's like how your dad can never remember your friends' names. He's just yes. Like, hands him the pictures of the ultrasound in an envelope, and Jeff Daniels is like, wow, fantastic. Yeah. He's like, yeah, haven't opened the envelope, Dad. Yeah. And he's like, he's gorgeous. And they're like, it's a girl. Right. I definitely told you that. Mm -hmm. um, so they're all enthusiastic about it, and then it turns out that Bert's parents are actually going to Belgium yes. to live out their lifelong dream of living in Belgium, Conveniently <laughs> timed to move a month before the baby is due. Yeah, so it, at least for the main characters, it's like a super selfish mm -hmm. wrench in the plan um watching it this time i was like is it that self i mean it is selfish but also like you're not really responsible for taking care of your kid you're not i mean i i it did see it definitely seemed very selfish to me and it mm -hmm. definitely felt like the vibe that i got from these two parents is that they're kind of like in their own world and like their what's going on in their kids lives doesn't appear that important to them mm -hmm. which i mean there's definitely parents out there knock on wood thank god my parents are not like that yeah. but um i can definitely see that they seem like people who like 
their kids were just kind of a part of their life that they don't feel like they need to have any connection to anymore. Right, like they're fully empty nesters. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah these are other people, mm -hmm. but like, oh, I'm yeah. not taking care of them. So yeah, they're they're a little bit gauche about it, which <laughs> is funny. Like the moment after this too, when they're in the car and um, they're both just like, uh, Verona and Bert are both like mm -hmm. really worked up about this, like really upset that they're just gonna move a month before this baby's yeah. due. And Verona says something like, you know, this takes selfishness to a whole new level. Yeah. And it's kind of like, they're going back and forth. We're really worked up. And then she says that. And you can t kind of see Bert change to like, wait a minute, those are my parents. Yeah. And he's like, well, <laughs> it's not like your parents are doing anything. And she's like, they're dead. Yeah. So Verona's parents died when she was about 22. Yeah. And he's like, well, still. And yeah. just that's another moment where it's just like, so funny because, yeah, it's like, oh, my family, my family, my family. And then someone says something about your family. And you're like, yeah. well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Also, the uh, that's that's a small thing, but that's like a, a an interesting writing technique that I see sometimes pop up in movies. Is like sometimes the way to establish a relationship between two characters is for somebody to say something so outrageously insensitive to them, and then the other person is just like completely unaffected by it, right. practically, because yeah. that really establishes like they understand each other on a level that most people do not understand each other. Right, like you wouldn't say that to them in the first place, and they yeah. would not take it. If anyone right, said exactly. It to them. Yeah. yeah, this is. One of the things I like about this movie that I think is kind of the thesis, and it's something I think about a lot just in life, is just, like, that feeling of, like, you can't understand someone else's relationship, and also, like, everyone's relationships and families are weird and crazy except for yours. Like, <laughs> yeah. the thing you're inside of, like, makes perfect sense, and you get it, mm -hmm. and then when you, like, get deep enough into someone else's family, whether you're dating them or you just know mm -hmm. them very well, it's like, well, that's weird that you guys do things like that. Like, yeah. that's... That's strange, and it's like, yeah, everyone's crazy except for you. <laughs> and then there, but this this leads into um, what I think is the thesis line in the dialogue of the whole film, which is, "Are we fuck ups?" Mm. When Maya Rudolph asks that, it's like she's really concerned about this, and like right. you can tell that she's having like a moment of realization, like not that she's concerned that like they're not ready to be parents, but that they're like. 33, 34 years old and they are living the way that they are living and they've been just kind of taking it for granted that this is the way that we want to live. Mm -hmm. But having that moment of realization of like, oh my God, am I am I blowing this? Am I doing this the wrong way? Like, right. not that there's a right way, but am I doing this the wrong way? Right, which I, I mean, just autobiographical for me, but I think everyone probably oh, feels sure. like- Oh sure, of course. Like, that you just, there's no blueprint for life after a certain point. And it's just so like, I don't know. I don't even know the checkpoints I should be comparing myself. Mm -hmm. There's, depending on the day, it could be like, yeah, we're doing great. Mm -hmm. And then the next day it could be like, oh my God, this person started a company when they're 22 and they're mm -hmm. a bazillionaire. Like, yeah. it, that just feels so real as well. Just, you know, yeah. it, it just, are, are you a fuck up? Who knows? Yeah. It feels different depending on the hour. And then that kind of triggers the whole decision to go and find, because Bert makes the point, or I guess they both kind of mutually arrive at the point where they realize, like, there's really nothing keeping us to this location. We moved here because of Bert's parents, mm -hmm. and Bert's parents are leaving, so we can really go anywhere. Right. We can do whatever we want at this point. We've got an opportunity to create something completely from scratch, and so they kind of take a mental tally of like, who do we know that lives someplace interesting? Mm -hmm. Who do we know that lives in these different places? We could go to wherever we want. Let's just check some spots out and, and see what sticks. Yep. And so cut to the airport, which is one of the most like indie movie shots mm. of the whole movie. They're like on those like moving walkways mm -hmm. and everyone's just moving around them. They're the yep. only people on the moving walkway, just like middle of the frame. That felt so like 
So indie movie, just, so Juno. Just coasting through life, you know? Yeah, uh, some metaphor. That was a very Garden state kind of a thing. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but their first stop is Phoenix. So we yes. Get a big title card away to phoenix there is that beautiful shot of the airplane yes. reflection in the window and the kind of warped window so it looks like the airplane is kind of liquid mm -hmm. and it's this like beautiful turquoise blue mm -hmm. with the orange building yeah that's a cool that's a shot i always remember um and first off they stop and see uh lily and L lily and lol yes uh allison janney and jim gaffigan yes uh, an amazing couple uh the it, Lily was Verona's old boss when they used to live in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, and she is just an awful person. They're both kind of terrible in their own way. Jim Gaffigan is just terrible and quiet, where Alice and Janie can't keep her mouth shut. Yeah, and just inappropriate, like, not kind to their kids. No. You can tell their kids are just going to have some serious self-esteem issues. Um, there's just, when um, Jim Gaffigan goes on that whole spiel about, like, how... Uh, Arizona's gonna run out of water. Yes. And like, it's just a whole. I I hope I hope he improved it because it just starts <laughs> with like, well, I, I think Allison Janney's saying like, yeah, it's so clickish here. We can't make any friends. Blah blah blah. In a classic like, you know, toxic person move. It, of right. Like, yeah. No one wants to be friends with me because they're bad people. Mm -hmm. Um. And she's like, you know, we didn't join the right golf club or something like mm -hmm. or whatever. And Jim Gaffigan's like, well doesn't matter anyway because the state's running out of water <laughs> first thing to go will be the golf courses <laughs> and the fountains large mammals swimming pools swimming pools <laughs> large mammals regular sized mammals <laughs> birds reptiles <laughs> and people and just like keeps cutting between like everyone's face and him talking and like you know just kind of looking out like this is something he's been thinking through a lot this is a man who has given up on life and the universe at large yeah and he just like ends this kind of like he just peters out on this <laughs> string of words that means nothing to anyone else. And Allison Janney just looks at him and she's like, "Are you done?" <laughs> so funny. Oh, they're so terrible and good together. But she's oh, she's the best worst. And one, and but. that encounter, like that whole long scene, because these are just like essentially this whole movie is just strung together a very long dialogue scenes, kind of mm -hmm. strung together. And that one in particular is kind of like uh, Bert and Verona's first clue of like, all right, we're doing better than we probably think we are because we're not like them. Yeah. They start talking kind of their parental philosophy and a yeah. lot of the rest of their like experiences inform that because they're like, we're at one point Alice and Jenny's character is like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do to them. They're fucked anyway. Yeah. Everyone's fucked out of the womb. Like a, a very, you know, kind of Catholic way of looking right, at things. Yeah, it's like and, genetic predestination sort of. Yeah. yeah. And so they, and they have a, a debrief afterwards, which I think is also a very mm -hmm. true, like yeah. when you leave other people and you're <laughs> kind of like, that was weird, right? Yeah, that was weird. I didn't think that was cool. Like, like everything this was you've been, funny. every reaction you've been holding in, it's like yeah. once you get out of there, you're like, oh my God, I've been meaning. Did been, you think that? Because I thought I've that. been wanting to tell you this for the last two and a half hours, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And they just have a, a moment of like, you don't believe that, do you? Like, and they're both kind of like, no, no, that's not what. Mm -hmm. And it also introduces the whole running joke of, um, of Verona potentially losing her boobs after she yeah. has the baby, which <laughs> yeah. is so, that's also just one of those great, like, no dialogue, because he's like, yeah, did you did you know her when she had, because apparently <laughs> Lily had huge boobs, and he's like, did you know her? And she's like, oh, yeah, like, she was huge, it was crazy, and Alex and Jenny, you know, not huge boobs, yeah. she's, she's a pretty thin lady, but, um, and he just, like, his face falls, and then she looks at him, <laughs> and he's like, smile, like, but you know what? 
if the baby's healthy, you know? Right. And she's yeah. like, okay. <laughs> uh, and then he keeps, like, noticing people's That's one of those, like, reactions about something, like, inevitable. If it's, like, you find out, it's, like, you're, if your mom tells you, like, for a guy, it's, like, if your mom tells you, like, oh, yeah, your grandfather went bald at 35, and <laughs> all of your uncles went bald before 40. It's, like, oh. Okay. It's, like, you're just kind of resigned to the fact that this is something that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but after that, they move to, um, they move on to Tucson, where mm -hmm. Verona's sister, Grace, works at a JW Marriott, I guess? I guess so. I mean, it's like, she, I, I couldn't quite tell, like, what her actual position was, but she, like, basically has, like, a front office position at, like, this very fancy hotel, right. resort kind of property. Yeah, coordinating events or, yeah. or something like that. She, um, but yeah, they just kind of have a nice, like, lunch together, get mm -hmm. to see Grace, um... Verona tells Bert to like really hype up the guy <laughs> Grace is seeing, and he is just like giving it his all, giving yeah. it one hundred and ten percent. And she's like, kind of Grace is giving them all the things that she's like, oh, can you believe that? Can you believe? He asked me if I like music. Like Grace, do you like music? And he's like, you know, I wish someone would ask me. That's a probing <laughs> intelligence. Like, he's doing the most, and it's so sweet. But, yeah, yeah, and you can tell Verona and Grace just like have a really sweet bond and mm -hmm. you know they're they're all each other has since their parents died yeah and, and they then get into that and we learn yeah exactly they get into that and that's how we kind of learn a little bit more about what uh their family background was and like where verona's kind of coming from um because at first it's left kind of ambiguous it's like did she grow up without her parents like mm -hmm. was she like orphaned was she you know what happened here um and then from this conversation with her sister we find out that no they had a very like kind of like a strong relationship with their parents and their parents were like beloved and they see because they never really get in at any point to what actually happened to their parents it was like the implication is something that like they both died at the same time like a car right. accident or something i always thought they said car accident but i was really like they i don't think they actually said it but yeah. i was i thought at some point they said car accident yeah but. not that it's really important but it's like yeah. it is it, it does kind of really establish like you know, this was half a lifetime ago for them. So mm -hmm. it's something that, you know, anything like that happens, few, you know, years go by. And unlike in other movie logic, it's not something that's going to completely define your very existence mm -hmm. in a way like in like <laughs> Batman. Um, but, you know, it, it, but it, the way that it, it does affect them and like the type of people that they have become right. and that kind of stuff. It's like we really learn a lot in that dialogue scene where... She says, don't make me cry in a bathtub in a bathtub showroom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we realize that too. Maybe not in this moment, but eventually that her parents dying is why she never wants to get married. Because mm -hmm. it just, mm -hmm. she's always saying kind of like, it doesn't really mean anything to me, but it's basically because her parents won't be there. So mm -hmm. it is very defining, but yeah, in a way that's like, they, they still have lives. Yeah. They still have motivation outside of like being an orphan. But yeah. It feels much more relatable yeah. than in most films where there's a discussion of like my parents died or my dad died my mom died it's like yeah. understandably a traumatic experience but it's not going to paint every single aspect of your life forever right you it's know? 10 years later and she's had to figure out kind of uh -huh. how to be an adult without your parents right yeah um, so that kind of wraps up they move along to Madison which actually they have to take the train instead mm -hmm. of the plane because uh, Verona is six months pregnant, but the flight attendants don't believe her, so right. they won't let her on the plane. Um, but they go to Madison, where uh, Bert has a job interview, and he has an old friend he grew up Cousin, with. Cousin, like, basically, like, you know, if you've got a, 
Uncle Jim, who's mm -hmm. like a friend of the family, and they're a kid. I've never really thought about the logical extension of like, Uncle so-and-so has a kid who is my cousin, I guess? I never right. really thought about that. Yeah, like those friends you just grow up with and it's like, it, it feels weird to just be like, oh, family friends. But they're not technically family. Yeah, some people call yeah. them family, some people don't, but. Yeah, Ellen. Yeah. Ellen. Who, Bert, for his entire 34 years on Earth, has thought her name was Ellen and not L-N. Which I didn't get if it's Ellen or if she changed it to be L-N because we find I out. I don't know. Yeah, maybe her parents are super hippies, but essentially she is a... One of the craziest characters in this movie. <laughs> yeah, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, just incredibly. I thought she did a really good Maggie job Gyllenhaal with this. does great with this kind of character work where she gets to really just sink her teeth and like ham it up in, yeah. big, in a big way. Yeah, I was actually just watching an interview with Jake Gyllenhaal and he was talking about how like he and his sister both do this like they kind of try on a lot of like very big things and <laughs> yeah. then find something that's true and more scaled back. Uh -huh. And it's funny to see the ones where it's like, no, you don't have to find that true scaled back one. Just find the big one and yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. You really get the sense that Sam Mendes like saw her first take and was like, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your performance. Yeah. Don't bring it back. Don't yeah. find a place that's true. Just be awful. Because she is like, she's one of those like super lib, but also very well off and completely out of touch with real people. She's, and she's a cartoon character of what a red state voter pictures a Democrat yes, as. That is yes. the best way to describe this character. And they have all these like kind of, you know, mantras and philosophies that, you know, you read the academic paper on or the article mm. in Goop on or whatever and, and expect everyone to know. Like they do, uh, what was the one that they said? They practice like the continuum Right. M a movement or continuum philosophy or something like that where it's and like... she's like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, continuum? Continuum. Yeah. Like, the continuum. She's like, yeah, no. Nope, still no. Yeah, and yeah. They're just, they've got all these like philosophies and like, oh, you want to push your children away with a stroller. Yeah, no and, like, strollers. You're going to hide your love making from your children. We like let our kids sleep in our bed. What were the, the three so S's gross. were sugar? Strollers and... No. Oh, it was sugar something and strollers. Right. No, no sugar. No. Oh God. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. it's uh. It's like separation or something. No sugar. Uh, something. I think it might have been separation. Oh yeah. I don't know. But like, she's still breastfeeding her like eight-year-old child uh, and stuff like that. Which is like, especially after in a post Game of Thrones world. Right. But like, it's one of the worst. It's a bad but visual. But effective ways to like establish like a completely insane insane person. mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then like, but with. As we find out, one of the things that I thought was the funniest in this whole section was with, like, indescribable rage simmering just under the surface with both her and her husband. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed this section. This is where it really started to feel a little bit like a Woody Allen movie, like, like an Annie mm -hmm. Hall type of movie for, like, the 21st century. Um... There is that great line that she says where she's like, I just want to give my kids a little bit longer before they have to start thinking about things like Juicy Couture and Hitler. Yeah. No, that was uh, that was Tom. Was that Tom? That was Tom. Oh, no. Which I got is, that wrong. <laughs> which is so funny because, like, there is, it's just, there is this continuum of parenthood that, you know, they're getting all this advice and this input mm -hmm. and, like, just sensory overload. And, yeah, I thought in that moment, too, like, Tom's philosophy is not all that different. No, no. They're just going so extreme and also are extremely condescending and yeah. like, codependent, which is gross. I but. mean, we can have a head-to-head a -head on, like, who's the worst couple in this movie later on, but, like, man, yeah. Ellen, and, Ellen and Rodney or Roderick are... Roderick, Roderick. Roderick. Yeah. I would, like, they just make me want to throw up. They are the <laughs> worst people in the world. When, because... Bert gets a lot of flack from both couples, from yeah. the men in both couples, of um, being an insurance... He's an insurance 
futures yeah. broker. So he insures insurers. Right. He is deep in the insurance business. And um, he, both guys give him flack, which is so funny because they're, I feel like Lily and Lowell are kind of that like yeah. hyper conservative caricature yeah. that like mm -hmm. liberals probably think like yeah. Oh, yeah. these guys going to dog races and like, yep. you know, being insensitive to their children. Um but he, Roderick's like, don't worry, like, Wolfie, their son. Like, you'll never have to do anything like that. And Bert ends up being like, so what is it that you do? And he's like, oh, you mean how do I make a living? Yeah. And he's like, yes, that's exactly what I am. Right, how do yeah. you do that? How Where do you does money? your money come yeah. from? <laughs> yeah, and they're, ugh, they're just the worst kind of people. But it ends in a, like, huge blow up. I think after Maggie Gyllenhaal's character basically says something racist, she says, like, you know, your people have such a great oral yes. tradition. It's so sad that your parents died before, like, your mama could pass this on to you. Yes. And Verona's kind of like, ew. And Bert just, like, loses it. Yeah. And, Last uh, straw. <laughs> yeah. Freaks out, yells at them, walks out the door, then comes back in with the stroller, convinces their child to hop in the stroller, <laughs> because and then drives him around the room. The most satisfying part of that scene was that uh, uh, Ellen and Roderick's philosophy completely backfired on them, and because mm -hmm. they were really hoping this kid, they're, do whatever you want, Wolfie. It's yeah, your listen choice. To your heart. Listen, listen to your, to your heart. heart. And then his heart told him to get in the stroller because it looked like fun to ride in the thing <laughs> with wheels. Cut to him like, wee, like arms up and stuff. So cute. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's how they leave that one and apparently burn that bridge. So Madison is <laughs> a no-go, especially Bert has a job interview and yeah. it just does not go well. So. Yeah, it's kind of a lukewarm, if I remember it, like the response was just kind of like lukewarm, like, he didn't. He doesn't get the offer in the interview, which mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times that happens. I mean, a lot yeah, of times you like, don't get gets, the offer in the interview, but they kind of took it as like neither one of them seemed that interested. And it was like, I can just go, maybe mm -hmm. go someplace else. Yeah. So Madison's not for them, and Bert's kind of apologetic about it, which is sweet. But it's mm -hmm. like, no, this isn't your fault. We checked one we off the list. We tried it out. It doesn't doesn't work. So let's go. Move on to Montreal mm -hmm. with Tom and Munch, who yes. are their college friends. Yes. Um, and they are living in this little brownstone in Montreal, which I was like, how much money do these people have? Because that seems expensive Quite in Montreal. Quite a bit. As well um, as four adopted children, apparently. Right. Which I thought that they were fostering, but I'm guessing... Perhaps. Maybe they, I, I guess it's not clear. Um, but yeah, well, so Well, it seems have, like they've adopted at least the young girl, uh, okay. whatever her name was, like Camille... Camille, Cammie, yeah. mm -hmm. who answered the door, because they said, oh, do you remember me? And she says, no. Mm -hmm. So she, she's clearly been around for a little while. I don't know if the others are just being fostered or, or right. what. Right, true. <laughs> she's like, mom's getting ready. She's going to wear a little skirt. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but they meet that family, and that's when um, they're watching uh, Sound, Sound of, of Music, music yeah. and they end the movie that's at right. the yeah. so long, farewell, Havita saying goodbye. Um and they're like, wait, you just, you end the movie there? Just cut out the Nazis like, altogether? Yeah, he's yeah. like, we're going to give them a couple more years until, uh, you know, they have to deal with Juicy Couture and Hitler. Yeah, that was a great line. I couldn't remember who said it, but that is a great line. That's also like a, yeah, that's a dad move. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. there's a whole category of bad things that Juicy Couture <laughs> and Hitler are both in it's it. It's a sliding like, scale, but there is a red line on that scale where right. it's like, anything it's, past this point is a no-go for a little while. It's not while. even a sliding scale. It's like a locked room. Like, they just put them all in there. And we're, we're not going to bother ranking them, but this is bad and so is that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, but they, these are. This is one of the like sweetest couples, and yeah. they get along really well. And they're all friends from college, so they have this like history. Mm -hmm. They have a great night out Montreal, mm -hmm. having a good time. Tom has this philosophy about like how you just have to dump all of your love onto your yeah. family, mm -hmm. which is very nice. Um, and they talk through Verona never letting them get married. He uh, mm -hmm. proposes to her in front of their friends, and she just flat out says no. Yeah. 
It's, um, all, and it's very performative because he knows exactly what's going to happen because they've done this a thousand times yeah. already. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. And you can, yeah, they're, they've come to peace with it, you can tell, but everyone's always so shocked that, like, why aren't you getting married? Mm -hmm. Which we didn't talk about, but Lily and Lowell's whole thing about, like, you think about the wedding <laughs> on those nights where, you're wa where you want to climb out the window and the kids don't know that and stuff. The kids will look at them, but... <laughs> and Jim Gaffigan, <laughs> when he talks about it, it's like, we spent $46,000 on our wedding. It's really only worth thirty-one. dollars 31, 31 five. 31, 5. <laughs> That's so, so specific, oh, so precise. so bad. Um, but we do learn that Munch basically is, I don't know if you'd call her infertile. She's incapable of Yeah, so we find out that she's had like four miscarriages, including one. Yeah. Or, yeah, she had like her fifth miscarriage like earlier that same week. Yeah. Um, so that makes this kind of go from a very kind of like light scene to mm -hmm. a very heavy kind of a, a scene. And it... The way that particular scene was staged was just really kind of sad and beautiful. Because um, mm -hmm. they're essentially at... I couldn't quite tell if this was an actual karaoke bar with stripper poles on the stage or if this was just a strip club where people come to just goof off. It yeah. was like, kind of unclear. Maybe it's a Montreal thing that I just don't know about. <laughs> That's um, what they ask. I think Bert asks at one point, like, what what's going on? Like, is yeah. this a... And then he's like, this is Montreal. This yeah. is just what they do in Montreal. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's... The sign says, like, amateur right. night. So I'm guessing it's some kind of, like, burlesque, kind of, yeah. like, cabaret. Like I guess cabaret is a better word. And then yeah. they, they let you do kind of a karaoke cabaret. Yeah. Because no one's actually singing either. It's yeah. all dancing. But, um, um, but yeah, they have... Um, so when Munch comes out on the stage, surprisingly, and then uh, Tom drops that bomb on Bert and then he starts like kind of talking through it as Munch is on stage basically just kind of doing a very sad and somber dance to Velvet Underground's Oh Sweet Nothing and it was yeah. a really like perfectly assembled scene I thought okay. like everything about it really kind of just clicked and it gave the perfect kind of mood of like this is what moving on looks like this is what kind of going on with our life looks like it was really interesting I really liked it okay good I as we were watching it I was kind of like I could see someone thinking this is overdone, but it's really effective for me. I can't hear Oh Sweet Nothing without thinking of that scene, like without just thinking of it as super sad. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's really sad looking at kind of how they're dealing with this grief and this inability to do this thing they really want to do mm -hmm. and obviously are kind of built for because they're taking good care of these yeah. other kids. Um, on top of trying to reconcile like this friendship, this relationship they have with these other people they care about where there's this rift now. Like, mm -hmm. they have Verona and Bert getting pregnant so easily, them being happy for Verona and Bert, and Verona and Bert still feeling kind of guilty, mm -hmm. you know, not, you know, they, they all care about each other, you can tell, but there is this, like, how do you, how do you be happy for each other and sad yeah. for each other and not turn it into a jealousy thing, yeah. an envy situation. And it is like, it's really poignant, like having Bert listen to Tom kind of just tell him, like, you know, it's taken him this long to tell them about something that yeah. maybe they're not talking about that much anymore because this is their fifth miscarriage. So I'm sure mm -hmm. at some point they kind of don't get that excited anymore. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, both of them have these big things happening in their lives, and because of that, it's like 
they have to kind of relate to each other a little differently. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and it's really a big moment in the film because this is kind of the first time we've met another couple that seems well-adjusted on every level. And mm -hmm. they are well-adjusted. And they're so well-adjusted that they're able to kind of, like, recover from this and, like, be able to have a nice night out days after this has happened. Right. You know, and that's something that a lot of people probably would not be able to do very well. Right. Um, and they take care of these other kids. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, they, they do seem to handle it so well, but still you can tell that there's, like, this thing that they just, they want yeah. and they can't have... Which, Very yeah, sweet. and I think that is another one of those, like, because this movie is a lot about, like, adult fears mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. It doesn't really, like, hit that that nail too hard, but, like, it, there's, like, different ones that are going to affect different people differently, and people are, you know, that is one of the things that you learn as you get uh, farther into adulthood is that, like, through sheer dumb luck, some people are going to have to deal with things that they never anticipated and never, mm -hmm. like, thought they were going to have to deal with. And they're going to kind of envy other people for the things that they have, mm -hmm. you know, that are just different. I mean, it's like everybody does that. Everybody's right. like, this person has that thing that I wish that I had and I've got this thing that I'm like saddled with. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got that eventually. And so right. it, I thought that this was like a really good like illustration of that. And I thought that it was, it was played out very nicely. Right. And it's one thing to look out just at the general populace mm -hmm. and say like, oh, look at all the people with babies. But to look at some of your closest friends who are going through it and be like, mm -hmm. I wish I had that, but I'm also yeah. so happy for them. And yeah. stuff is a really complicated thing. Um, yeah. But from there, so I guess the next morning, Bert gets a call from his brother. Mm -hmm. uh, so they go and take a unexpected stop in Miami because Bert's brother Courtney's wife has up and left him. Yeah, just like gone in the night, it seems like. Yeah, so, which I wasn't sure how long she had been gone. Because it seemed like maybe she had just left, yeah. but he had, um, Courtney had told his daughter, who's, you know, maybe 10, maybe 12, mm -hmm. um, that yeah, it was probably like 10. A little she younger, like young. 8 or yeah. 9, I was thinking. Oh, okay. And she, he, he told her that they're, um, that she was gone on a business trip for mm -hmm. five days and then told her, just kidding, Grandpa died. Yeah. And was contemplating telling her that uh, their mother got murdered or her mother got murdered. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Bert's like, that would be traumatic. Yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> um, but that, it was, yeah, that one was a heavier moment too. Mm -hmm. And just uh, Courtney kind of unloads on Bert at one mm -hmm. point of just like, I don't, he has a school picture and he's like, there's carrot juice on her mouth. Yeah. She's doesn't, I, that's the kind of thing a mom would notice. Yeah. A dad doesn't notice that and I will never notice it. And I have like, my wife has essentially like crippled our daughter's possibilities, her potential for mm -hmm. self-esteem for the rest of her life. And yeah. there's nothing I can do about it. And it was, it was really heavy too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, confronting the adult fears thing. Like what mm -hmm. if this person, what if this person that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, we spend, 10 years together and they just vanish mm -hmm. and they're just gone. Right. You know, what, what, what do you do then? Like, what do you, how do you deal with that? Right. Um, and especially with a kid, like he yeah. says, I'm going to spend every waking moment reconstructing a normal life for yes. her. And you're just like, yeah, God, like that's pretty much. Yeah. 50% of her uh -huh. life is gone and he has to fix it. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. And Bert's obviously really upset and it, you know, rattles him a little bit because they're not married. So they didn't even have the paper to yeah. keep them together. $45,000 fear to keep them from running yeah, Right, exactly. And I'm sure he thinks about uh, uh, Lillian Lowell. I'm sure he's thinking about Lillian Lowell also mm -hmm. and about the conversation about like, well, you gotta, you gotta have the paperwork to like make it, you know, keep you tethered basically to yeah. each other. 
Um, yeah. But then in this case, it's like, no, that doesn't even really matter. So this thing that he had kind of been wanting to get married, he's now realizing is like, oh, no, like nothing is permanent. Like mm -hmm. there is no guarantee of permanence in anything yeah. in this world. Um, and so that really kind of pushes him into a pretty scary place uh, for himself. Like he starts kind of completely freaking out. Yeah, on a trampoline, of <laughs> On course. a trampoline in the middle of the night calling yeah. uh, uh, his brother's uh, estranged wife's friends to try to figure out where she went off to, to, I don't know, track her down and bring her back in a gunny sack or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you just wonder where he was going to go with that. But it is it is sweet. It's a good... Uh, the sibling relationships are really yeah. sweet in this movie. Mm -hmm. But um, so they have a nice... Verona and Bert kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart about, like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, what are we going to promise each other if we're not going to get married? Mm -hmm. um, and... That's a sweet moment, and then they wake up the next morning, and Verona's kind of having a moment, mm -hmm. thinking about her parents and how happy she was in the house growing up, and kind of the memories they built. Um, and so they decide to move back to her homestead mm -hmm. in apparently the Panhandle of Florida. I thought it was New Orleans. Panhandle, interesting. Yeah. That's is that the just is that official? Is that that's what it said on Wikipedia? Oh, weird, because it's yeah. like, I mean. I guess so. I kind of got the impression. It obviously looked like Florida to me, but like mm -hmm. I, I, I got the impression that it was farther south. I thought that was still near Miami. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like the, it's not really that important, I guess, but it's this very weird kind of like, you know, antique home mm -hmm. in what appears to be like adjacent to the Everglades or something like that. Yeah, they're like right on this huge um, river. Like yeah. Huge body of water, at least. And this drive back, and before they decide to go back to this place she tells this story about the orange tree mm -hmm. about like kind of how the essentially what the story is about is like how her and her sister and her mom essentially played this completely harmless practical joke on her dad mm -hmm. and how that was kind of a defining moment in her family history and it really I think that that is kind of like the moment where like they both kind of had the same idea of like those kinds of, like, it doesn't really matter where we are and, like, memories are still alive and, like, you know, we can, the, the, the important thing is that we have a supportive and healthy relationship with each other and with our child slash children mm -hmm. and that, you know, and that kind of puts them both in the same headspace of, like, we should just go to Verona's old house. Mm -hmm. Which has been sitting, as we learned from the discussion with Grace, has been sitting vacant for years. Right. And just unoccupied. Um... And they decide to go back. And that is the approach to the house and them, like, kind of walking into the house in, at the end of this movie is, like, one of the greatest achievements in communicating a sense of place mm -hmm. in film that I've ever seen. Mm, nice. Yeah, it is very, like, there's not a lot of talking in that sequence. It's basically the final, you know, couple minutes of mm -hmm. the movie. There's really nothing else. It resolves everything. And yeah. it is, like... There is this really kind of mystical yeah. sense about the house. At one point in the very beginning, Bert says like he wants their daughter's childhood to be epic, like Hawk Finney. Yes. And it does, it has that feeling of just like a storybook childhood. Mm -hmm. So you get the sense that like they are they're gonna be happy, which I kinda liked the um, you know, the punctuation on the end where Bert says like, I think we're gonna be happy here or whatever, mm -hmm. which feels a little obvious from how they've built it up, but then Verona's like, I really fucking hope so. Yeah, and it yeah. is kind of, I thought it was a nice little resolution because it's like, yeah, they they still don't know. No, but yeah. But they hope. Like, yeah. And this is like, 
based on what we've seen from the beginning of the film where they were living, this feels like the type of place where they can both be comfortable and be their authentic selves mm -hmm. and have the lifestyle that they want to have because they seem comfortable in a very to use the diplomatic term, lived-in environment, <laughs> and he seemed to want to be handy, and this house is definitely like a fixer-upper, and so like mm -hmm. all of the pieces are there for them to have kind of what they want, mm -hmm. um, and where they want to be, like still relatively close to Bert's brother, and like mm -hmm. really from what we, the sense that we get is that that's the only real family he's got right. around. Um, and I don't know, my impression was that it was closer to where his brother was living, and so like, the implication I got was that, okay, we're in Verona's childhood home, we're close to Bert's brother and niece, and we can kind of be this kind of, the version of the family that we want to be. And like, we can be like that supportive family that's not necessarily like the traditional nuclear family uh, that, you know, is kind of the pictured hypothetical ideal mm -hmm. for a lot of people, but we can still have the version of that that works for us and we can still be supportive and healthy and happy. Yeah, I didn't think about the extended family thing, but I think you're totally right that like, they can build a family and they can help support another family mm -hmm. in this choice. And yeah, it's, it, and I think being removed seems like they're the things they seem to be rejecting the most is kind of the, the philosophy of the outside world and the pop culture and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And here they kind of have this little oasis that's, it feels a little out of time, mm -hmm. not really plugged into, you know, anything big and bustling about a city. Yeah. It's more, it's, it's its own little island. Yeah. And, you know, up until, like, for a couple of years, my dad was living in a, uh, a house that was built in the 1870s, and it was, like, very similar to this house. Like, mm -hmm. not quite as stylized, I guess. I don't know anything about architecture, really, but, like, and it was in rural Louisiana, and so I really, like, I didn't grow up there or anything like that. It was mm -hmm. someplace that, like, he lived, he moved in when I was in my 20s, and he moved out when I was in my 20s. And so, mm -hmm. like, I really have no emotional connection to that place. But seeing that in this movie, it was very much, that, that house in this movie, it really kind of, I got the same kind of, like, you just kind of get a vibe from old houses like that. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, it really communicated that really well, and especially, like, unsticking the door and that gust of wind blowing through the entire like from because you open up the front door you open up the back door and that, that gust of wind just kind of blows through and it's right. like That's it right. really it feels like the house is like a part of the place and not mm -hmm. just like imposing you know what I mean yeah totally yeah yeah that was a nice it's always like oh I'd like to live in that house that yeah nice. um so yeah that's pretty much the whole thing mm -hmm. a to z uh any particular scenes or moments that stuck out to you that we didn't touch on? Um, nothing that we didn't touch on. I mean, like, I definitely, I, I appreciate, it. normally in a movie where there's, like, dramatic shifts in tone, it can kind of feel uneven, but I feel like this movie handled it in a way that made a lot of sense, and it really was, like, some of it was a little elevated and a little bit caricature-ish, but it still was, like, it was still serving the point, where everything kind of, I, I drew everything back to, Verona's question at the beginning, are we fuck-ups? And the answer at the end of the film seems to be, kinda, but you're doing okay. You're doing fine. Yeah, no more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's people that are doing way worse than you and don't <laughs> even realize it. So the fact that you have the presence of mind to ask that question says a lot about you already, that you care enough to be, like, have your life put together in the way you want it to be put together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and love is all that matters, I think, the mm -hmm. film is telling us, well... Maybe not, though, because some of those kids love their kids, say, yeah. and Ellen loves her kids, and she's messing them up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was very, it, it was very nuanced. I thought that the, um, for sure, the, the it, it felt a lot like the grown-up 
version of Juno in a lot of ways. Yeah, Juno, like, 15 years later. It's like, to the teenage fears versus the adult fears, mm -hmm. you know, what it, you know, it's just a different kind of thing. Yeah. You know, everybody, at every stage of your life, there's going to be things that give you anxiety and make you wonder, like, am I doing the right thing and stuff like that. So I thought this was, that throughout the movie I thought was portrayed really well. Mm -hmm. Cool, yeah. I think we touched on most of the stuff that yeah. I remember every time, but it's just, like, it is, the tone shift is so true. Like, it makes me laugh and also, like, makes me cry, makes me mm -hmm. think, makes me, like, just feel for these people in a way that's, like, yeah, totally, mm -hmm. like, seen those moments, but... And I just appreciate the fact that, like, you know, uh, I watched this movie with a friend of the show, Anastasia Kim, and um, afterward it was like, she said, oh, this is a lot different than most romantic comedies that I've seen. And I was like, that is so fascinating because you're right, but also I, left on my own, would not have categorized this movie as a romantic comedy. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, just that like, this is probably one of my favorite romantic comedies, but yeah. it's absolutely not like, you know, if you're going to think about, if I was like, oh, I really want to watch a romantic comedy... Yeah. This wouldn't it, be what comes to mind. Because it's not about falling in love, which I feel like is the It doesn't follow the formula. Yeah. It doesn't follow a, a specific formula. And the relationship itself isn't really what's being examined in this film. It's almost like it's the constant. Like, mm -hmm. very early on it's established that, like, oh, no, these two are solid. Like, it's not at question, like, oh, my gosh, are they going to have, like, a rift? Or are they going mm -hmm. to split up and come back together? Like, the, at no point does it feel like that's going to happen once you establish who these people are and what their relationship is like. Yeah. It's just about... The conflict has nothing to do with the relationship. The conflict has to do with, you know, being kind of adrift, but they're adrift together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, like, it seems like the best version of what happens after the end of a typical mm -hmm. rom-com. Kind of, like, yeah. a typical rom-com is kind of the first, the beginning phase of a relationship yeah. where everything's really exciting and up in the air and you're still feeling, figuring a person out. And a lot, that that energy is not what the rest of the relationship will be. This is, I think, the ideal, at least, mm -hmm. of what the rest of the relationship would be. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you have a three-sentence review for us? I do. And um, yeah, I mean, I before I get into that, I mean, I just, I enjoyed this movie so much more than I thought I was going to. Okay. I don't think, I don't think I made it clear at the beginning. Like, I had no expectations of this at all. I just knew what I saw in the trailer. And I really like this movie a lot more than I expected to. Like, yeah. even knowing what it was about, it was just like, by, it really surprised me in mm. a lot of ways, so. Good, I'm glad. I, this one, I'll say it again. This one means a lot to good. me. I good. love it, so. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, three-sentence review. After it ignominiously slipped under the radar upon release, it might be easy to dismiss Away We Go as a version of Juno with main characters who are just 17 years older when they get pregnant. But while the general setup is similar, these two films could not be more distinct from one another, and Away We Go presents a surprisingly considerate and satirical look at people who are a few years past young and still questioning their place in the world, both literally and metaphorically. For anyone who's ever asked, are we fuck-ups, aka anyone with the awareness, uh, self-awareness to recognize that the answer might be yes, Away We Go is a sweet and refreshing reminder that the answer might also be no. Oh, nice. Love it. Uh, so what do you have for us next episode? Well, I've got some options lined up, um, and just because I didn't know really what to pick, um, would you like to watch a Western? Okay. Would you like to watch a movie that this one reminded me of? Oh. Or would not you like Juno. to watch, not Juno, <laughs> or Juno. would you like to watch a, uh, a film noir starring one of my favorite all-time actors? Oh, wow. Um... I just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so let's watch a Western. Cool, okay. Now, I've got a couple of options. Would you like to watch an American Western, or would you like to watch 
an Italian Western. Oh, uh, let's watch an Italian Western. Sweet. Okay. So you've heard about The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. You've heard mm -hmm. of this movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, one of the most famous Westerns of all time. Clint Eastwood, uh, probably his first really big recognizable role. But that movie was the third Western that Clint Eastwood did with a director named Sergio Leone. Uh. The first one was the movie that kind of kicked off the Spaghetti Western thing and launched hundreds of imitators over the next decade or so. And The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is probably the flashiest one, the most famous one. But the one in the middle gets not does not get enough attention, in my opinion. Oh. It's really fun. It's it's just a very like an exercise in style, and uh, you know, it's a little bit less of the, of the real world kind of concerns, and just like kind of in my opinion, emblematic of everything that I love about this kind of weird subgenre. Okay. K, have you seen for a few dollars more? No, I have not. A sequel in a trequel yeah. of movies I have not seen. Okay, interesting. And again, this is a little bit like Evil Dead 2 in the sense that it's not really a sequel. It's just the third uh, or the second of three movies <laughs> that they made together. Um, but yeah, um, okay, cool. I'm excited because this is one that like, you know, I want to talk about The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but it's very long mm. and it's also kind of, you know, I don't know what I would have to say about it that is that interesting. I think you should definitely watch it. Um, but this is the one where I feel like it could very easily just slip under the radar forever. So, um, in, in, for, for you in particular, because I know oh, that you're yeah. not necessarily attracted to this type of movie all the time. So. I think we've talked about this, but I don't think I've seen a single Western all the way through. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, interesting. So. Well, we can get in, we can use this as a springboard to just kind of talk about Western genre movies, because we mm -hmm. haven't, I don't think we, we definitely haven't covered one on this podcast. Yeah, I don't uh, think so. Cool. So, for a few dollars more is next week. Awesome. Well, signing off for KIV You've Seen, I'm Kari. And I'm Kyle. See you next time. Bye. Uh -huh.